Lord, we thank you for this time uh, for education, but I pray, Father, that it would be education for exaltation, that you would drive us to doxology, the worship of our God and praising him. Lord, thank you for how you, your sufficient word addresses every need of our souls. And Lord, you are teaching us these things so that we can comfort others with the comfort that we have received from you and by your word. And so equip us now, Father, remind us of things we once knew and perhaps have forgotten and teach us new things, Father, that perhaps we haven't wrestled with in your word. And may the result of this be that we come away from here more equipped to minister to one another in your church and for your glory and for our own great joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, this is the last hour, and all God's people said... That's great. Well, now, as, uh, as biblical counselors... It's important to understand that not every counseling issue is a sin issue. It's not always a sin issue. We need to be reminded that every child of God can rightly and simultaneously be, be thought of as a, a sinner, a saint, and a sufferer. In fact, every time someone comes into my office for counseling, I know those three things about them. If they know the Lord then these three things are true. We are all sinners, saints, and sufferers. And in many cases, our counseling will focus on addressing the issues of a person's thinking and behavior as a believer, but in a manner that doesn't focus so much on sin, but more on suffering. Sometimes the counsel is that's most needed will be about how to handle personal suffering due to circumstances that are beyond your control. And this is certainly the case when there are issues of physical suffering. Uh, I've been given this, um, this lecture because uh, for in, in, the, in the providence of God, uh, the Lord has brought suffering on my family uh, for as long as I can remember, physical suffering. Uh, when I was in seminary, my... Uh, my number two son was born. Uh, two weeks later, he contracted a virus. Four babies did at, uh, um, at the hospital, and uh, two of them lived and two of them died. Uh, my son lived, but uh, he spent, uh, up until recently, all of these years, he's had a defibrillator pacemaker because his heart was damaged. Uh, we were repeatedly told that he wouldn't make it to his teenage years. Uh, praise God, that is not true. He is married. He has two children, two of my grandchildren, I should say. And uh, he lives in Kalispell, Montana. He works in a hospital as a respiratory therapist, and he is very, very well uh, in the Lord and physically. My wife has had serious, serious back problems. She's had every conceivable therapy. Uh, she has the titanium rods in her back. She has this, the uh, implanted... Uh, Neurostimulators. Uh, uh, she's got the bone grafting. She. Uh, they did some kind of a thing that was like, um, um, uh, what do you call it? Like uh, stem cell. Uh, it wasn't really stem cell. It was something else. And a lot of times these things. Most at this point, most of the time, uh, very expensive uh, procedure and zero results. Um, 
this past year, I came down with COVID uh, and almost died. Um, my wife and I were saying goodbye by phone as I was in the hospital and she was outside. I went in Christmas Day, Christmas morning, and got out uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, I mean, the list just goes on and on. And, um, and some new things that have come up after COVID uh, that are a constant burden, uh, both uh, physically and financially, and you can imagine uh, every other way as well. The stresses it puts on a family, the stresses it puts on a marriage, the stresses it puts on the children. And I have seven children. And uh, so in the midst of all, of all of this, my wife had to take care of the kids. And, you know, how do you do that? How do you live in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord when there's so many things going on, when, when there's physical illness and pain and suffering? I think it's safe to say that, that uh, no matter how large or small your church is, and it can be really small, there are probably people in your church who are suffering from physical illness such as cancer and, and diabetes. Uh, and I didn't mention that uh, my youngest son uh, has type 1 diabetes. And so um, a lot of times when I'm teaching, his uh, low blood glucose alarm goes off in, in my pocket. And, um, you know, it can be anything. Any physical illness can be debilitating. And, and biblical counselors should be prepared to shepherd. I love that word, shepherd people. You, you don't have to be an elder. You don't have to be a deacon. You don't have to be a pastor to be a faithful shepherd. God has called his people and equipped his people to shepherd one another with compassion and with grace and with substance and the rock-solid truth of God's word that will give them the hope they need to make it through or continue until death in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. So how do we, how should we counsel someone struggling with physical illness. How should we counsel someone struggling with physical illness? Well, let's talk about the counselor's role. The counselor's role. And for this, I want to give you eight things to remember about your role as a biblical counselor when you are counseling someone who is suffering. Uh, part of the suffering that we've seen in our church, uh, for example, among all of those other things I said in my family. We've had two women who made it full term, nine months, and lost their baby. And uh, one of those young couples, uh, it was twins. And um, it was amazingly difficult, but you should see them now. now the Lord has given them more children, um, and uh, they are preparing to move to Uganda as missionaries. Uh, what an example they have turned out to be. And much to their own surprise, the Lord has lifted them up in the eyes of our congregation and in others as well because they responded well and they had good counsel. Uh, biblical counselor's role, so we're gonna, we got a lot to cover here, so some of this I'm gonna fly through pretty quickly. Biblical counselor's role is to address the counselee's responses to uh, physical illness. It's their responses that we're concerned about. This, this does not require, uh, it does not require the counselor to possess any medical knowledge whatsoever. The counselor should rely on the counsel, what the counselee provides as, uh, in, in terms of what the problems are, what needs to be addressed, 
Uh, we rely on the counselee to provide any needed medical information. Uh, the only exception to that would be if they give you permission to get information from their doctor. But even then, um, it's, it's not the medical issue that we're addressing. And even if you, you as a counselor possess a medical background and medical training, uh, you are not really to bring that to bear in the counseling room. Uh, I assume that that person already has a doctor, and uh, you as a doctor, if you are one, know that it would be unethical for you to step in and, and give any kind of do- diagnosis that is uh, different than or uh, contrary to uh, what that other physician is, is saying. Uh, and so accept the diagnosis, whatever it is. It's not the counselor's role to prove or disprove the diagnosis. Now, there's always someone in, in every church who has kind of made themselves the uh, church physician without any kind of medical training. And I know I'm going to step on toes with this, but um, I won't say much, honestly. But you know, Paul talks about Chloe's people that, that talk tell about the problems. And there are these other kind of people, too, who uh, just feel like they know enough about medicine that they want to um, want to tell you what to do about your medical condition. Um, don't recommend other possible diagnoses uh, or methods or treatments. Uh, that's not your place as a biblical counselor. You can do that with your children. You can do that with your parents. Uh, but don't do that with your counselors. Uh, the counselor should help the couple or the counselee the person to deal with the illness from a spiritual perspective, not a medical perspective. The goal is to turn the counselee's attention from the pain and discomfort of the illness to what God is doing in them and to them and through them in the midst of their illness. Uh, I, I tell you what, when I was when I had COVID this past year and laying in the hospital, at no contact with the outside world except for <laughs> an older couple in our church organized what they called a park and pray. And so they got a bunch of people from our church, and uh, they found what side of the hospital I was actually on, and uh, I directed them a little bit uh, from the window, and, and they could kind of see me up there. I could hardly breathe, you know, and the oxygen and stuff. And they were blinking their lights and waving. And I got a, I got video. And um, uh, why did I bring that up? There's an important role here. <laughs> but the goal is to turn the counselee's attention from their pain to what God is doing in their lives in the pain. And I can tell you, when I, uh, when I was there... Um, uh, the Lord did so many things. I came out of that uh, experience. You know the, the famous quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Solzhenitsyn who escaped the gulag and uh, made it to America, and he wrote his great big thick book. And one of the things he said uh, was, bless you, prison. And I remember coming out of the hospital saying, bless you, COVID, because of what the Lord did in my heart. I had to be alone. Uh, the people who were there, I, I couldn't. I could only see their eyes. And uh, some amazing, amazing things happened. Just being there, sick, alone in bed, with God. It was amazing. It was amazing. Um, uh, so many things I could I could share about that, and we don't have time. 
but the counseling process. Let's talk about the counseling process. That's what you're here for. Uh, first thing is uh, gather data. Let me back up here. Let's gather data, information, gather information about the medical condition. How was it diagnosed? Um, basic information about the condition. Lifestyle changes because of the condition. The effect of any medications. The future of, of, of treatment or the prognosis. Uh, what do they know that the doctors have told them? Uh, and then information number two, information about uh, the counselee's response. What is he or she thinking? Or what is their attitude about the condition? Uh, my, my secretary a few years ago, uh, she came to know the Lord at my church. In fact, I led her to the Lord. Uh, she was a, a drug addict, and uh, the Lord completely changed her life. And she was my right arm in ministry for uh, 17 years. And she came down with cancer. And I remember uh, going to the hospital and sitting with her. And, and I said, Dana, uh, what's the Lord teaching you uh, through this illness? And she said, oh, am I supposed to be learning something from this? <laughs> she was always raw and real. And uh, the next time I went up, she said, ooh, ooh, I've thought of ten things the Lord is doing in my heart through this. You need to help them. You need to help them think that way. You know what we, we tend to do is we tend to go to the hospital and ask, how are you feeling? What has the doctor said? Um, what can we do to help you? Can we give you some comfort? Do you need anything? Uh, we can run to Chick-fil-A if that will heal you. It might. Um, you know, what can we do? And we're so focused on the physicality that we never get around to asking questions about their soul. Uh, there's a wrong way to do that, and there's a right way to do it. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Information about the counselee's response. What are they thinking? What are their attitudes? Uh, how have family and friends responded? Sometimes they don't respond well. Uh, where is God in the council? Sometimes, by the way, sometimes family uh, gives bad counsel. And where is God in the counselee's life and thinking? How do they believe God is involved in, uh, in, in their case or in their suffering? How do they believe God is, has given hope in the middle of their suffering? Do they trust God in the midst of their suffering? Uh, you gotta figure out how to, how to ask those questions in a manner that they are willing to receive. And the timing is critical. You don't do that the day they find out, right? Um, mainly the day that the issue happens or they discover what it is. Uh, that's a day just to cling to them and weep with them and and pray with them. Even be careful how you pray, um, but um, but you're there just to hold them and 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 be tender with them and be careful with them. But there will be a time we hope that uh, either they will say, you know, Pastor or my friend, can you can we just talk a little theology here? Um, help me understand where God is in this. Or they may not. And you will have to very gently say, can we, can we talk about where God is in this? And, and nine times out of ten, they'll say, sure, let's, I, I don't know where we're going to go with this, but great, let's go. Um, and so, uh, B is give hope. Give hope. And, and I can't pound this enough. Um, uh, as a, as a mentor, as a, um, uh, as a fellow with ACBC, 
phase three, if you if you if you make it through phase two, which is the exam section of your certification, after that you get to come to someone like me, or Terry Enns, or or, or Keith, where all three of us are, are mentors, and we will uh, mentor you as you're counseling real people. And um, uh, one of the things that I hammer on all the time is about hope, because there's a question on. Uh, one of the last questions on the um, case report is, how did you give hope? And people will say things like, well, I think everything's going to be great. You know, just, uh, you know, they come up with stuff they've heard from Oprah or, you know, <laughs> something. And uh, it, it's so hard to teach people. I'm not sure why, but it's so hard to teach people that if you're going to give them hope, the only place hope comes from is the Bible, Give them biblical hope. Now, you can encourage them in other ways, but if you're going to give them hope, give them Bible. Give them Bible. You've probably been taught by uh, uh, Jason Cruz. Has he been in here to teach? So Jason is uh, one of my associates, and um, uh, one day he called, he called me and he said, listen, I've had this ear infection, and they keep giving me medication for it, and it's not working, and... and um, it turned out they misdiagnosed it, and he had uh, shingles in his ear. And every time he stood up, he threw up. And um, eventually he lost hearing in that ear almost completely and to this day. And, um, but in the mystery of God's providence, uh, I showed up as his pastor and friend and showed up. His whole family was there, and, and they were praying and concerned, and, and they needed somebody to take him to the hospital. And I said, well, I'll take him to the hospital. And uh, so we get him in the car, and, and thankfully he was done with that mess, and uh, got in the car, and I said, Brother, while I'm driving, can I just read you some scripture, which you're not supposed to do when you're driving, but um, I just started reading, and every time I read a scripture, he would go, mmm, like I was feeding him, like I was giving him steak. And I'll never forget that. He would say, mmm, oh, read me another one. Here, here, try this one. And, and he'd give me a scripture and all the way to the hospital. We just read, just read text after text after text. It's what he needed. And, uh, and that's, that's the way people think about God's word. Uh, give hope. Give hope. Uh, uh, this is an important one. The good shepherd, this is Psalm 23. So when my son, my number two son got diagnosed with his heart problem when he was a baby, uh, I was in seminary. I was at the end of seminary. I was in my last class of seminary. And um, and I remember I was, for some reason, studying Psalm 23, probably just because my wife and I just needed comfort from the Lord, and we didn't have any family. And, um, and I, was, I was studying Psalm 23. And uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, right? He leads me beside quiet waters. Uh, he, he, what? What's next? stores my soul. And then the next phrase is this. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Did you know that there's, uh, if you pick up commentaries on this, they're going to tell you different things, what righteousness means. I dug it out in, in, in a Hebrew lexicon. And um, you know what I discovered? Do you know what paths of righteousness means? It means this is the right path. This is the right path. Now, here's what that means for the person you're ministering to. It means that if you're following Jesus, 
even if he, next phrase, leads you into the valley of the shadow of death, it's the right path. I remember before my secretary Dana died, one of the last things she asked me was, Pastor, tell me again, is this the right path? And I said, Dana, absolutely. Every day of your life that you have followed Christ, you've been on the right path. The Father never leads your side. He never leaves your side during suffering. And that too is from Psalm uh, 23. Isaiah 41.10. And we call this the five pillars of hope and confidence. You can just pick one of these to give to your counselee if you're going to do this uh, week after week. I realized I don't have all of those. Okay, so... So here it is. Here's the five pillars. You should memorize this if you haven't already. Isaiah 41.10. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Five times God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. God has good purposes for your suffering, 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, this is one that I've been clinging to this, this year uh, in my own illness that I won't talk about right now. But um, learning to be content with your illness. And I remember in the early stages of, of what I'm struggling with, uh, my brothers at the church would say, how can we pray for you? And I would say, you know, it's just this one word, contentment. I, I just, I'm not there yet. I'm not there, which was really instructive for me. Don't rush people into contentment because you can't make them content. But you can help them. You can encourage them, reminding them that this is the goal, that you would be trusting the Lord so much in the midst of this that somehow you will eventually find yourself content. And, and I realized that as I was going through all of that, um, it, it came slowly, and I'm not sure it's, it's completely there. But I tell you what, the Lord does amazing things in the heart of his children that are, that are incomparable to the world and maybe incomparable to anyone who has always been healthy. Um, God has promised sufficient grace for your struggle, 2 Corinthians 12.9. God wants to show forth his power through your suffering. And by the way, power doesn't always mean healing. It is possible to be content even when relief doesn't come. Next, teach appropriate biblical truth. Suffering is inevitable in a fallen world. Job says that, right? A man is born to trouble even as the sparks fly upward. First uh, Corinthians 10.13, it is common to man. And sometimes that in itself, there are, there are four promises in 1 Corinthians 10.13. But one of the first statements in that, in that passage, in that verse, is that this is common to man. Whatever it is you're struggling with, it's common. Other people have, have struggled with this as well. And sometimes that's really hopeful. Um, it's common to man. God's grace is not always the removal of pain. We think of God's grace as unmerited favor, and it is. But that's not the only kind of grace. There is grace for people who suffer 
And they're not getting any better. God gives you power to be pleasing to Him and even to have joy in the midst of your illness, your suffering, your dying, whatever it may be. God's grace is not always the removal of pain. It is possible to be victorious in the midst of your suffering. And so that was uh, teach-appropriate biblical truth. That's kind of what we're running through. Here's another one, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, or cracked pots, right? We have this treasure in, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to men. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Isn't this interesting? Uh, For my friends who struggle with uh, depression, this is a great text. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We, We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down and not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life for you. So there's a little hint there that Paul, in the midst of all of his suffering, is serving others. Uh, Number four here, your suffering is always under God's sovereign rule. Now be careful when you talk about that. Be careful about... How you talk about that? The proverb says, um, uh, a, an aptly spoken word is like apples of gold in settings of silver. If it's a timely word, you gotta time it right. You gotta find the right moment to, to talk about the sovereignty of God. And you've got to know that person well enough to know when it's right. Your suffering, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, here's another promise. Your suffering will never exceed your ability to handle. 1 Corinthians 10.13 God promises both present grace and future grace. Grace for the next moment, 2 Corinthians 12.9 and grace for eternity, John 14.1-3 I was talking to a dear brother one time who was, who was suffering not because of physical illness but because his wife left him. And uh, as the years passed, and we're just constantly, feel like constantly counseling year after year after year, and now it's 10 years, and now it's 15 years, and, and all the struggles with the children and, and everything. And, and uh, you know, the best hope, he would tell you, the, the best hope that I gave him was to remind him that you're not home yet, and life is short, and God is asking you to be faithful, not just today, but until... He calls you home, and and it's going to be sooner than you think. Be longer than you wish, but sooner than you think. So uh, God gives us grace for the next moment. God gives us grace for eternity in John 14, 1 through 5. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Uh, when my son would be 
many times we took him to the hospital and they would wheel him away and sometimes he would say, Daddy, am, am I going to die? And um, that's heartbreaking, isn't it? And my response to him was, uh, John 11, resurrection of Lazarus, right, the whole story. And he tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And everyone, everyone who lives and believes in me will, what? Never die. And I could tell him with biblical confidence, no, you are not going to die. And I turned to my wife and, and we knew the alternative was he would just wake up in heaven. But no, you're never going to die. That's hopeful. It's hopeful. Now, regarding trials and suffering, Isaiah 45, 5 through 7. Uh, Romans 8, 28. I'm just going to speed through some of this. Ephesians 1, 11 through 13. Here's what uh, Paul says. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the... Listen to this. Listen to this verbiage. Uh, you got to get every word of this. You ready? So pay attention. Having been predestined according to the purpose of Him... Listen to how Paul describes God. Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. That means everything. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the, to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. You are secure. You are secure. Regarding sickness, regarding sickness, teach them James five fourteen through 15. If anyone among you is sick, let him call the elders, etc., uh, we've had that happen many times when people were dying of cancer or they just found out they had uh, deadly cancer and they would say, uh, can we call the elders? Absolutely. And we could quibble about whether the uh, oil was, uh, was actual oil or whether something else was going on there. You read Jay Adams on that. He gives you a really interesting perspective. And he may be very, very right on that. Nevertheless, we give it the option, you know, if people are convinced... Uh, that uh, that they should be anointed with real oil, we do it. We just do it, and then we all pray over them. And we also ask him, any, any possibility there could be sin in your life? And I'll talk about that again here in just a minute, because that's what he says here. Uh, and the prayer offered in faith will restore one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins... They will be forgiven him. First Corinthians 11.30, For this reason, many of you are weak and sick, and some of you have died. Right? So the reason that they got sick was because the Lord was disciplining them. And some of them God took home. That's First Corinthians 11.30. Um, whenever we suffer from sickness... It is always appropriate to ask, is God disciplining me for some sin? I, I, that led me to some of the sweetest moments with God when I was in the hospital. All right, Lord, we got time. What do you want to talk about? Here's my heart. 
just whatever you want to talk about. Um, of course, I know that he speaks through his word, right? But I also know his spirit is really good about prying things out of your heart that you bury. Assign homework. This is D on your outline. Assign homework. And focus on application of biblical principles rather than health issues. Again, don't focus so much on their health. You can't do anything about that. The areas of focus in homework are helping the counselee to respond biblically to the challenges of the illness. So that's your focus when you're giving homework. And, and by all means, give homework. Okay, almost everything that I've said in here can be homework. And so, uh, and Randy Patton was here, so I know you've been taught how to do give good homework. And when you get to that place where you start submitting case reports and your mentor says, that's really crummy homework. You should just know, let me just give you some hope. We say that to everybody. <laughs> because at the beginning, everybody's homework is crummy. Um, but it's so important that you do it right. And it's not hard. You just need to learn. Number three, counseling principles. So here's some basic counseling principles for counseling people who are uh, uh, suffering physical illness. A, be understanding and encouraging. Um, Galatians 6.2, you who are spiritual. Um, no, that's uh, 6.1, 6.2. What does 6.2 say? Bear one another's burdens. Thank you, sister. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 2.7 But we were gentle among you, like nursing mothers taking care of uh, their own children. So help them think biblically about all aspects of their condition. 2 Corinthians 10.5 talks about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I know he's talking there about um, uh, false teaching, uh, but there can be application in terms of just training uh, people how they should be thinking and not thinking about their struggle. Uh, Paul talks a lot about that, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, what is, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, excellence if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Stop dwelling on your pain. Stop what was that? We don't know. Did you see something drop? Okay. It's a sign. Oh boy, we don't we don't do that. Okay, <laughs> and we don't go there, right? <laughs> okay, so reassure them that the illness is under the control of a sovereign God. Proverbs twenty one one: the king's heart is is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Uh, my mother, uh, when she moved to Texas, uh, her and my dad, uh, we don't have time for the story, but she kept saying, uh, when, I was, when we lived in Florida, I kept telling my doctors I have, I have cancer. And uh, I would say, well, they always said, what? No, you don't have cancer. And she said, but I'm pretty sure I have cancer. I said, well, why don't you come see my doctor? And doctor said, well, why don't we just have a, a, a CAT scan? She was full of cancer. And um, she got so sick after the surgery, uh, she was able to talk for a little bit for a little time. 
And then she just started to go. And the, and the nurses came and said, call the family. We made funeral arrangements. And uh, we're praying. People were coming to her bedside, praying, Lord, healer, Lord, healer. And, and being the man of faith I was, uh, was, I was saying, it's too late. It's too late. And, and you know what? One day she opened her eyes. Next day she started talking. They took the, the tube out, maybe in reverse order. Next thing we know, she's going to um, um, rehab. Then she came home. And God saved her through that. Um, this illness was the very thing that brought her to saving faith. She would tell me again and again, it was my cancer that led me to Jesus. You're a good preacher, honey. <laughs> it was my cancer that brought me to Jesus. So what happened? I mean, here's God's sovereignty. God sovereignly, it's like the heart, the, the, the king's heart. In this case, it was just the disease. And the Lord went, huh, well, we'll just move that over here. Let's make that go the opposite direction. And you know what? That doesn't always happen. It hardly ever happens. But the Lord can do it. And we don't, we don't, we don't put a lot of stock in, uh, or a lot of hope in that they're going to be healed. And we're rightly skeptical when someone says God's gonna, don't ever tell someone God's gonna heal your loved one. That's not hope. Uh, there's no promise there. But there are a lot of promises that do apply. First uh, Chronicles 29:12. Both riches and honor come from you, Lord, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Uh, the Lord is is sovereign over it all. And, and listen to what Dave, uh, uh, Jerry Bridges says in his book Trusting God. You should get to know that book. Use that book in counseling. Just be careful if someone is really struggling, a lot of pain, a lot of, uh, a lot of questions that maybe bitterness, yeah, just, just be slow and to get in, be judicious about who you bring this book to bear on and when. Again, Jerry Bridges is helpful here. He says this, God is completely sovereign. And by the way, you should memorize this. God is completely sovereign. God is infinite in wisdom. God is perfect in love. Therefore, God in his holy love wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. Johnny Erickson Tata, how many of you have never heard that name? Never heard that name. Raise your hands again. Okay. Well, then I'll tell you a little bit about it. Uh, in 1967, uh, she was a teenage girl. She dove off a, a, um, a deck um, and her, at her home, I think, and she uh, became a quadriplegic. Uh, she went in and hit the uh, hit, hit the the bottom of the pond or whatever, and snapped her neck. Uh, she's still alive. Uh, she's obviously I don't remember how old she is, but she's got to be seventy. She she's written so much on suffering. If you want to get your hand head around uh, on on a biblical understanding of suffering. Read Johnny. It's J-O-N-I. There's a movie made after her and uh, all kinds of stuff. But here's 
Uh, I'm not going to be able to quote all of this, but a, a little bit from Johnny Erickson Tata. And uh, here's what she says. Suffering involves having what you do not want and wanting what you do not have. How we deal with suffering is strongly linked to our perspective on God and our attitude about his dealings in our lives. God is sovereign. This is her writing. God is sovereign. That is, he possesses ultimate power, and he is able to work out even bad things to accomplish good for us and glory for him. God's relationship to suffering is is, uh, somewhat mysterious, but we know for certain that he is able to steer calamities to serve his good purposes in your life. The following verses remind me that God is in control and has every intention to make our lives reflect his glory. It was a strange providence, as we say, a couple of years ago when Johnny, uh, who after all of these years, uh, also contracted cancer. And yet every time this woman gets hammered, it just seems to make her more beautiful in terms of her relationship with God and her ability to communicate it. Uh, She sings, she paints with her teeth, uh, with a toothbrush, I mean, not toothbrush, (laughs) a paintbrush in her teeth. Um, Job 15, 7 and 8, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands also heal. Now here is a scandalous passage. You think about a a child being born with Down syndrome or some deformity or there's been a terrible accident or, or whatever it is. And I remember there was a man in my church years ago who took me out to lunch and he said, Pastor, I keep hearing you say that God, um, caused some major problem, calamity, issue in a person's life, suffering. And uh, is, that, is that really what you believe? And I said, um, absolutely. Absolutely I believe that. And that's my hope. That God is behind it all. And he said, I don't believe that. I don't believe God's behind suffering. I said, okay. He said, can you show that to me biblically? That, that God is behind suffering? And I said, well, would you consider someone who is lame... Would you consider that suffering? He said, absolutely. Would you consider someone who's born blind or deaf uh, as suffering? Absolutely. And I said, well, then let me read you the scripture, Exodus 4, 11, because you know the story. This is um, Moses, and God is telling him, I need you, I want you, I command you to go to Egypt and um, rescue my people. And he says, you got the wrong guy. I've never been good at speaking. I can't do this. And so send Aaron. And uh, he says, uh, uh, I forget the exact verbiage, but he says, uh, uh, my tongue, basically my tongue doesn't work. My mouth doesn't work. My mouth doesn't work. Let that, let that phrase seek, sink in for just a second. My mouth does not work. Exodus 4.11, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? 
Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And he said to me, is that in the Bible? And I turned my Bible around. He was so stunned by it, he, like four months later, he took me out and he said, hey, can we talk about some things? He wanted to talk about this exact same thing. Show me that in the Bible. He was scandalized by it, but here it is. God is not only in the midst of it, but he's behind it. And help them embrace God's sovereign grace. Help them... Ex- uh, counseling principles, I'm behind, aren't I? Uh, what letter are we on? This is number... Okay... Uh, there's Johnny Erickson. Hey, Johnny. <laughs> okay, that's too far. Okay, counseling principles. So this is uh, E. Uh, help them embrace God's sufficient grace. And uh, we've already looked at some of these verses. Encourage them to cultivate. Here we go. This is hard. Encourage them to cultivate thankful contentment. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. The Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Job 1, 21 through 22. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. By the way, here it says, in everything. In Ephesians, it says, for everything. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Psalm 103, 1 through 5. Blessed be the, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. You know why he says that? Because we tend to forget. The whole book of Deuteronomy, the theme of it is remember and do not forget. Remember and do not forget. Remember and do not forget. You know why God says that? Because we, f- we forget. And the older I get, the more I forget. Now, where was I? <laughs> Just kidding. Forget none of his benefits who pardons all your sins, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Isn't that great? Jeremiah Burroughs famously once said, there it is. Um, He defines contentment this way. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Isn't that wonderful? Did I put that in your notes? Yeah, because I wanted you to have that. You're welcome. (laughs) Uh, Warn them of common sinful responses to suffering. This is from Hebrews 12. Uh, I, I preached a series years ago called God's School of Suffering out of this section of Hebrews But just a taste of it here. We tend to overstate the intensity of our suffering. Uh, The author here says, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. And what's he mean by that? 
He means quit your whining. I'm in charge here. You need this. Don't overestimate. Number two, we tend to despise the suffering. Uh, Hebrews 12:5. Don't consider consider it lightly. The word lightly here can be translated despised. Don't despise the suffering. Don't despise God for what he has brought into your life. And number three, we tend to faint under the weight of our suffering. The word faint here means to be crushed or utterly discouraged. You know, there have been a number of times throughout all these years in in our family and the things that have happened. And I remember walking the neighborhood, sometimes in the dark, praying, Lord, help me not be crushed by this. I know your command is that I am not allowed to be crushed by this. And you know what? That was helpful. My heart is going there. No! No heart! Why are you in despair? Put your hope in God. You are not allowed to be crushed. And you're not allowed to despise what's happening. This is Hebrews 11. You must trust, or Hebrews 12, you must trust me. This is right after the hall of faith, right? And some of those men were and women were stuffed in logs and sawed in half. You talk about persecution. We know nothing of that in the United States, not even now. It may be coming. Suggest that they find, you ready for this? Imagine yourself sitting with a suffering friend and suggesting this. Suggest to them that they find in their suffering opportunities for ministry. I'll never forget one day after my wife's back surgery, and she couldn't move. She was laying in bed. And I walked into the house, and Pastor, I I mean, I never know who's going to be in my house when I go home, right? There's always people. And uh, it was in the middle of the day, though, so usually not. And I walked in, and there was a woman who I found out later called, and she was struggling. She didn't know about my wife's surgery, and, and she called, and she said, yeah, I I'm really have a burden here. Uh, can I come and talk to you? And my wife said, yeah, come. And uh, the door's open. No, don't knock. Just come in. Uh, just when you get here, call my name, and, and I'll kind of uh, tell you where I am. And she came in, and she was like, well, I wonder where she is. And my wife said, I'm back here. Come on in the back. And we had set up a chair next to her bed. And the woman came with her. I don't remember what the issue was. And she found my wife, who can't walk, and ministering the word to her. And that was really powerful. It was powerful for me. Um, You know, can I do that? Uh, Women are just much more stronger than men, right? Suggest that they find in suffering opportunities for ministry. And here's a biblical precedent. Philippians 1, 12 through uh, 18. Uh, now, you need to understand Paul is writing from jail. He's been there for a while. He's telling his beloved Ephesians, I mean, uh, Philippians, uh, not to worry about him. And listen to how he says it. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, namely, I've been thrown in jail has really served to advance the gospel so that it was become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife, and others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every day, in, in every way, whether in pretense and in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And yes, I will rejoice. Next, define victory as being controlled by biblical principles rather than the agony of the condition. Next, teach them to look for God's glory in their suffering. Look for God's glory in their suffering. You'll find it if you look. David Brainerd, Brainerd, my favorite extra-biblical hero, um, died at, I think he was 28, and uh, led the Great Awakening among the Indians uh, in New Jersey, of all places. Who knew New Jersey would have a... I'm from New Jersey, but... uh, um, but he said one day in his journal, he said, I was uh, sorely afflicted by um, some brothers who treated me badly. And his prayer was, oh, Lord, help me lest I miss the benefit of this trial. My wife and I have said that 10,000 times over our 35 years of marriage. Help, me, help us, Lord, not to miss the benefit of this trial. Teach them to look for the glory of God in your suffering. If in your struggle to conquer sin and alleviate suffering, we fail to learn and treasure God more, then we have missed the most important thing that God is doing in the midst of your experience. Can I just read that to you again? This is from uh, Brad Hamrick, God's Attributes, uh, Rest for Life Struggles. He says, if in our struggles to conquer sin and alleviate suffering, we fail to learn the treasure, learn and treasure God more, we have missed the most important things God is doing in the midst of this experience. At the end here, I've, I've put in John Piper's Don't Waste Your Cancer. Just um, tweak the wording a little bit. And apply it to you or someone near you and help them think through this. You might say, um, don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your hardship. Number one, I will waste my suffering if I do not believe it is designed for you, for me by God. You want to personalize this? I'm not going to try to personalize every one because I've already messed up the first one. Uh, Okay, so number, let's just skip to number three. You will waste your cancer if you seek comfort from your odds rather than from God. You know, like, what, what are the odds I'm going to survive this? You know, the doctor said, uh, I got about a 40, 40, I mean, 40, 60%. Or I'm not good at math either. If your hope is in the odds rather than God, you will waste your cancer if you refuse to think about death. That's hard for people. 
I remember my, when my dad was dying, he kept saying, I, I just can't figure this out. Like, what, what, death? <laughs> I mean, no one's been able to figure that out. Uh, you waste your cancer if you think that beating cancer means staying alive rather than cherishing Christ. You will waste your cancer if you spend too much time reading about cancer and not enough time reading about God. You will waste your cancer. Sorry, that is my timer. You will waste your cancer if you get, uh, if you let it drive you into solitude instead of deepening your relationship with manifest affliction. You will waste your cancer if you grieve as those who have no hope. You will waste your cancer if you treat sin as casually as you did before. You will waste your cancer if you fail to use it as a means of witness to the truth of the glory of Christ. You know, when my secretary was uh, getting, oh, she was probably in her last four or five months, um, she became a fearless evangelist. <laughs> Woe to you if you were an a, a, a orderly at the hospital and you hadn't met her yet. She would always break off conversation abruptly with me, and she would say, "Oh, are are you my nurse for today?" And he would say, "Yes." I was there for one of these occasions, and uh, and she said, "Oh, what's your name? My name's Dana." And she said, oh, you know, my name's Bob. Bob. Hey, Bob, come over here for a minute. And he'd come over. Do you need something? Oh, yeah. And so do you. And, <laughs> and she would say, do you know my Jesus? That's how she would start. That's amazing. It, she never did that before. When she got sick, she started thinking, God, I don't have much time. What do you want me to do? And she just did it with all of her heart. You know, the church has always wrestled with these issues. There's a, there's a hymn that we still love singing today, All Creatures of Our God and King, right? Don't you love that song? You don't think about it with, uh, in terms of suffering, though, do you? Listen to this statement that will, you will remember from this song. Ye who long pain and sorrow bear... Praise God and cast on him your care. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. Amen. Father, thank you for this weekend. I praise you for your goodness and your mercy toward us in the midst of our suffering. And even when things are fine, you are with us, teaching us, changing us conforming us to your image. We ask you, Father, to continue that until we see you face to face. Whatever the cost, oh, Father, I pray, make us more like Christ. Cause us to love him more. Be more dependent on him or feel our dependence on him. For your great glory, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.